0: Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we're going to be looking at the climax of the Abraham story. Um, you would think maybe it would be last week that was the climax. God had been promising Abraham, you're going to have a son for all those years. And the son is finally born. But it just takes a few verses. It's not exactly a climax. It's almost like anticlimax. It's just building and building and building and then he's born. That's it. But here in this one, there's real tension and there's real drama. Here, the son was finally born, and now God asks him, asks Abraham, "Kill your son for me." That, that's, that's astounding. That, 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 that ought to catch us off guard. If we're not familiar with the story, that, that ought to blow us away and think, how? God, God, you, you've been promising all along. But Abraham believed God. And he believed, as Hebrews says, that God was able even to raise Isaac back up from the dead if he were to go through with this sacrifice. He's able to obey God because he believed God and he believed that God was going to be faithful to his promises. So let's look at our text. Beginning in verse one, And I'm going to read the whole chapter. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one side, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkeys and uh, his donkey, and two, took two young two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took his hand in his hand the fire and the knife so they went both of them together and Isaac said to his father Abraham my father and he said here I am my son he said behold the fire and the wood where's a lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, to, they went both together, of them together. When they came to the place of which, Abra, of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out of his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you... Fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a, sacri- as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, behold, or by myself, by myself, I have sworn declares the Lord because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall be possessed the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice, So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn. Buz, his brother. Chemuel, the father of Aram. uh, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlath, and Betuel. Betuel followed Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Tebah, Gaham, Tahash, and Maaka. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would show us Christ on these pages. We trust, we believe in faith that you are able to feed us as we come to your word. We hunger for you. We thirst for you. Lord, satisfy us as we come to hear from you. Lord, give me strength as I preach Your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to get some of the this out of the way at the beginning, at the very end, the last few verses. This genealogy, Let me take care of it right now. After this uh, sacrifice of Isaac narrative. Um, The author, Moses, uses this genealogy to kind of go back and remind us, okay, Abraham had some brothers before he went out from Ur of the Chaldees and one of them had a daughter named Rebekah who was going to marry Isaac. That's, I think, the purpose here. It's to reintroduce Rebekah, which we're going to see about in chapter 24. So that's out of the way. Now we're just going to focus on the main bulk of the text tonight. And boy, is it difficult in some ways. The world, the the militant atheists, point at this text and, and charge evil against God. They say, How can God do something like that? Was he just pulling a trick on Abraham? Was he just joking? No, God was not just joking. God was not being cruel to Abraham. The problem, I think, with those who charge this text with evil is that they are not looking at it from the perspective of the biblical author. The biblical author is is looking at this from the perspective of "This this is another miracle that God is going to do. This is something great and miraculous and beautiful, but the scoffing, mocking world looks at that and says, "That's child abuse." It's just like 1 Corinthians when Paul says, "The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. We ought not to listen to the critics who try to, to say that this was God somehow being evil. This is God showing forth His great salvation plan that points forward to when Jesus would come and take our sin upon Himself. So, now diving into the text. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And He said, here I am. God tested Abraham. It's not as if God did not know what was in Abraham. Right? God was not giving him a test for his own benefit. And I've heard that this is, you know, when we give a test as a teacher, like in a class, right? When a teacher gives a test, it's not for the teacher's benefit that they're doing that, right? It's for the student's benefit. The student may not feel like it, the student might think, Why are you putting me through this? But the test gives an opportunity for the student to study harder, to get to know the material better. He wants to be ready for that. And and he learns something that he wouldn't have learned if he hadn't put all that energy into studying, maybe an (laughs) all-nighter, for that test. Right? The teacher doesn't give a test for himself or herself. The teacher gives a test for the benefit of the student. And here, Abraham, God decided to test Abraham. I think that's for Abraham's benefit. God knew what was in Abraham's heart. God knew the faith that Abraham had. In fact, it had already told us before we ever get to this point, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness. God had already accounted Moses or uh, Abraham righteous because he had already seen Abraham's faith, but here he tests it again so that Abraham would really know, and so that we would see something that points forward. He points. He he tests God. Uh, God tests Abraham, and we hear this conversation. God says, Abraham. If you think of him, God has spoken to Abraham before. God has answered Abraham's prayer and his longing desire that he would have a son. God says, Abraham. He said, Here I am. Abraham says that a lot in this text. Here I am. I'm yours, God. Do with me what you will. Here I am. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. There's a lot here. A lot. First of all, God tells Abraham to take his son, his only son. Abraham's got more than one son, doesn't he? He's got an Ishmael here, right? We talked about that last week. He's got Ishmael as well, and and it, 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 Abraham was displeased whenever Sarah said to send Ishmael away. And he seems he has some love for Ishmael as well. But here, God is making the point. This is the one that He has longed for. This is the one that He had waited upon and waited upon. This is the one who God had promised. The one who was a miracle child. And also, if we look at the English translation, it loses something. See, the English translations usually reword this. As we have it, it says... Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. In the Hebrew, it's actually take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. That's, and, and the point of that is to, it's building up and building up a dramatic effect. Take your son. Which one? Your only son. Well, I've got two sons. The one you love. I love them both. Isaac. Right? It's, it's building up It's building up an expectation and a, a, a crescendo here. Um, and God tells him, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. This is the first... Time Abraham has been tested, is it? This ought to remind us of chapter 12. In chapter 12, God calls Abraham to go to a land that I will show you. And here, God is saying, Take Isaac to offer him as a burnt offering on a, in a place that I will tell you. Abraham is called to go without asking questions, and he doesn't even know where he's going. Again, this sounds familiar to us. And of all the things He's asked to do, He says to offer this beloved Son as a burnt offering on the mountain. What would we do if we were put in that position? I think we'd probably start bargaining with God like whenever God... uh, told Abraham he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, right? <laughs> well, you know, for 40's for sake, for 35's sake, for 30, how about 20? You Like an auctioneer. You, know? you want me to take my son? But it doesn't give us any indication that Abraham tried to negotiate with God. It doesn't give us any indication. As soon as God gives the command, what we have here is, so Abraham rose up early in the morning. He was getting ready to obey immediately. He rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him. These were probably servants. And his son, Isaac. And then also it says, he cut the wood for the burnt offering. He got up and he, you know, he, he had to chop wood. Think about how old he is. Isaac is no little infant. Isaac is big enough that he was able to carry the wood on his back. So we're, we're talking probably a teenager. Abraham is probably maybe 114 years old, and he's out chopping wood to be obedient to God. Abraham rises early in the morning. He he chops the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose to to go to the place which God had told him. And then, here, verse 4: On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. There's something significant there. On the third day. On the third day. It was on the third day that this took place. Now, ancient renderings of the third day can be different. We know that from the story of the crucifixion itself. We know that Jesus died on Friday and He rose again on Sunday morning. And yet we consider that three days. It wasn't the full day at the beginning. It wasn't the full day at the end. But um, So we don't know exactly how... Long this was. It could have been that they left on a Friday and this was on Sunday that he saw it. Maybe something like that. I don't know. It doesn't tell us what day of the week it was. But it was a a three days journey and that is significant. Um, We also see in Jonah. Jonah, as he is preaching, it tells us that it was a three days journey through Nineveh. As he was preaching. And then, as he well, actually, before that, whenever he was swallowed by the great fish, he was in the belly of the whale for three. He was in the belly of the big fish for three days. And Jesus said, No sign shall be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Whenever he was crucified and buried and rose on the third day. And then also Hezekiah. Hezekiah, whenever he was sick and he prayed, and and God had told him he was going to die, but he prayed, and it was the third day that he was rescued from death. So we have this pattern in the Old Testament. There's more times than just this time where we see the third day is significant. We have the sacrifice of Isaac happening on the third day. We have Hezekiah in that situation. The king of Israel was rescued from certain death on the third day. And we have Jonah. I'm not saying on the third day is some kind of an allegory. I'm not allegorizing this at all. But I am thinking... There is an Old Testament pattern that we see over and over again which the New Testament, whenever Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, they recognize that pattern. There's no text that says the Messiah will raise after three days. Instead, it says on, uh, according to the Scriptures or in accordance with the Scriptures. It's according to this pattern that we see throughout the Old Testament. Then, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. There's something we miss here again in the English text. It doesn't give us the pronouns here. It says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you. There's no, it, 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 in the Hebrew, it's more obvious where we can see, I and the boy, we will go over there and we will worship and we will come again to you. The, the word there, come again to you, it's in the plural. It's in the first person plural. It's not as obvious as we look at it in the English, but it's there. It's obvious in the Hebrew. Abraham tells the young men, we will come back to you. I think that's probably one of the reasons why the author of Hebrews could say he be- that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Isaac, uh, but Abraham was ready to go and sacrifice his son to go through with it because he believed that God was faithful to His promise. Abraham had already seen life come from the dead. You may ask, why, how, how did Abraham see life come from the dead? Because of Sarah. Sarah's womb was barren. And that was understood to be just as good as dead, barren. There was no life that was going to come from that. And there was life that came from the dead whenever Isaac was born. God could overcome that obstacle so that Isaac could be born. And Abraham believed, God has promised this son. This is the son that God has promised me. He's telling me to do this. God must have a way to raise him from the dead. And so when he tells the servants, me and the boy, we're going to come back, he means it. He's not just trying to cover up his tracks. He means it. We're going to come back. They believed.
1: And Abraham
0: took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. They left the donkey there so the donkey couldn't carry the wood anymore. Isaac, he's no infant. He's a strong young man able to carry the bundle of wood. Abraham places that wood on his son as he carries it up the hill. Thinking forward to the beloved son who took the wood on his back and carried it up the hill. Well, Abraham, he took the fire and the knife. This knife is not just any knife. This knife that he's carrying, literally, it, it's the word for eat. The eater. The, the devourer. They're you know, Like in The Hobbit, whenever... They have these swords, and, and they've got names for the swords, like Sting, right? And <laughs> Right. Okay. It's like that. This, sword, this knife is called the devourer. And um, its knife is not like a little dagger. It's not just sufficient for killing Isaac. But this knife is probably more like a butcher knife. That would be suitable to be able to dismember the sacrifice and arrange it on the altar. This is the kind of knife that Abraham is carrying. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, "God will will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son." So they both of them, so they went both of them together. This uh, shows us that uh, Isaac may have been catching on. There's the fire, and there's there's the wood. Dad, I know we're going up here to sacrifice something. And I don't see any lamb. Imagine that Isaac and his father probably had a very close relationship in which Isaac trusted his father implicitly. And whatever his father asked, Isaac trusted that he trusted his father, and he trusted that his father meant his good for him. So Isaac believed his father. And Abraham here tells his son the truth God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. The word there, provide, is literally like the word to see. Uh, and, like in English, we have the idiom, "I'll see to it." Um, if we're going to provide make the necessarily make necessary arrangements for something to happen, we may say, "I'll see to that." Um here, Abraham says, "God will see to that. God will see to the land for the burnt offering, my son. and And it ends there. He ends the sentence with my son. God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You, you, you kind of think ending the sentence that way, it may be that the, the lamb is the son. And it says after Abraham told Isaac that, So they went, both of them, together. Isaac trusting his father. And they go both together. Verse 9. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. If Isaac didn't have the idea already, he's got it now. But we don't find that there's any hint of a struggle here. In fact, just imagine again, Abraham's probably 114 years old. Isaac's a teenager. If Isaac wanted to escape from him, he could have. You can can just imagine Abraham chasing this teenager all around the mountain. But we don't read that. Isaac trusted his father. Abraham bound him and placed him on the altar. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife. Again, the devourer to slaughter the son. He's raising it up. You can feel the dramatic tension here. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham has heard from the angel of the Lord before. Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says what he's heard before, what he said before. Here I am. I'm here. The angel of the Lord tells Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham, uh, Isaac is, in a way, rescued. Verse 13, And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. What Abraham had told Isaac, God Himself will provide a ram, a lamb. He looks up, and behold, there! It's like it just came out of nowhere! There's this ram. So Abraham... Went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. That instead of. That's 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 a word for substitution. In the place of. He was going to go and offer up his son as a sacrifice, but instead of his son, he offered the ram. It's a substitute. And. Later on, we see something very similar to that in Leviticus chapter 16 because we see the same kind of language surrounding the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the priest would sacrifice a lamb, lay his hands on that so that the sins of the people would go on to the lamb and die in their place this it's it's as if uh, some scholars have said it's as if in Leviticus 16 God instituted institutionalized what had happened to Isaac here at the sacrifice of Isaac we know it very well from the old testament picture the sacrificial system was bloody and it was the animal would die in the place of sinners. Sinners deserve death. Sinners deserve wrath and punishment. And the offering the uh, the animal, the sacrifice would be offered in the place of the sinners so that they could be forgiven. And it all pointed forward to Jesus, who is our once for all offering so that we no longer have to give animal sacrifices year after year and day after day. Verse 14, So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, or the Lord will see to it. As, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided, or will we seen to. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. This is not over. (laughs) It's not over. We we get through this rescue, this dramatic rescue, but it's not over. There's comment. there's, There's God and now tells Abraham what this all means. And He said, By Myself I have sworn declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. God tells Abraham, because you have obeyed me in this, because you have not withheld your only son whom you love, Isaac. Because of that, I'm going to keep my promise that I've already made to you. He'd already promised him, I will make your offspring as many as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the seashore. He's already promised those things. He'd already counted Abraham righteous by faith. But now he, he reaffirms it again after Abraham is obedient here. So, We also need to remember there's a there's a play here between singular and plural because seed, offspring, is a collective noun. It can be singular and plural, just like deer in English. I saw that deer. Or look at all the deer. Right? Seed is the same way. So here it tells us I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand of the seashore. That is plural. It's talking about the nation of Israel. And then it follows it up by saying, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Notice it says his enemies. And that's a singular offspring there. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus there. Jesus, that offspring, that seed that is to come, will possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring, again, that's singular. That's a singular sense, playing off the one and the many. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Again, pointing forward to Jesus, God promises that because He's heard His voice, He's obeyed God's voice, His offspring is going to bless all nations. Jesus came because Abraham was obedient there, in a way. Verse 19, So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is an amazing text, I think. It's a very dramatic text. It shows us that Abraham believed God and he obeyed God. And I think Abraham's obedience was built on his belief. The only reason why Abraham was able to obey in such a drastic way Command was because he believed God was going to keep His promises. And it's the same for us. If we don't believe in God's promises, we won't obey Him. In order for us to obey, we cannot be obedient unless we believe. Why would we? If we don't believe that he's going to keep his promises, why would we obey him? But Abraham believed it. And it's the same for us. In order for us to be obedient, we've got to believe his promises. God has given us so many great and precious promises in his word. We've got to know those promises. And then finally, this text, again, I'll say it again, it points us forward to the fact that the only Son of God, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, His Son, His only Son, the one He loved, Jesus, on the cross, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God demonstrated His love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This text points us to the greatest reality of all. It points us to the Gospel. This is what we believe as Christians. That Jesus, just like Isaac, is like the, the ram died in the place of Isaac? Jesus was the Lamb of God that died in our place. It's substitution. This is what we believe. We believe that God has promised that if we believe on Him, then Jesus' death pays for ours. And He died in our place. So my closing expectation is that we must believe in Jesus. It empowers us to obey and it is the gospel. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.